Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagiri. And today we'll be talking about Shanghai Express from 1932, which is a movie that we have been trying to find for a long time now. And we were going to do it, I don't know, a few weeks ago we were going to do this movie and we realized it's literally available nowhere. So uh, we canceled that episode and we ended up doing Wizard of Oz instead. Good substitute. But, uh, you know, this is a film that was nominated for three Oscar, fifth Academy Awards. It won Best Cinematography, was also up for Best Picture and Best Director. Um, Connor, explain how you found this movie, where you got it, and that day where you're like, holy shit, we have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you had put Shanghai Express on the schedule, I was like, ooh, I don't know that movie. Let me look this up. And it sounded intriguing. And I'm like, all right. And then I think the day came to record the weeks, like the previous week's episode. And I looked up the availability and I'm like, oh, this movie doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) And we were both like, kind of like we're trying to find any streaming service that had it. Could we buy it on Amazon? And unless we wanted to shell out 60 bucks for the Marlena Dietrich, Joseph von Sternberg criterion collection, we were shit out of luck. (laughs) And we, we was like, we were just like, all right, fuck it. Let's pick another 30s movie. Wizard of Oz came to mind. We did that. The next day, I went to my local half-price books and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll check. And lo and behold, <laughs> $14.99 Shanghai Express. And I was like, no way. I was like, this, this got to be a remake or something. And I looked it over and I'm like, nope, 1932, Marlena Dietrich. Yep, this is it. <laughs> and I bought it. And then <laughs> we were... As we were uh, getting ready to do it, um, I was getting ready to watch the movie and I put it into my PlayStation and it said unidentified disc. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and I whipped, I broke out my uh, region free player and I was like, please, God. And it worked. And I'm like, thank you. So I texted you like, do you have one? And you're like, nope. And I'm like, well, you're all right. Here's mine. <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> so yeah. here we are. Yeah. Incredible. So yeah, so you told me that on Wednesday night, you told me that we're recording this on Friday night, Friday the 13th, in fact. Uh, and uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are. What, what are we doing? We're, I feel like we're inviting dark spirits right now into our into our lives. Uh, on Wednesday night, you were like, yeah, you told me about how, oh, shit, it's only playing on a region free DVD player. I still haven't bought one. I don't know why I should have one by now. There's been plenty of times where I've looked up online, like, okay, I'm going to order it now, and I just haven't gotten it. And then my older brother recently was like, you know what? I'm going to buy you one, probably for your wedding. So I was like, all right, I'll wait for that. Um, Then you came by on Thursday. You came by where I work, and you dropped it off to me along with the movie. And then obviously I watched it Thursday night, last night. And I was pleasantly surprised with how how, how solid the movie is. You know, it's, it's aged well as far as, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd and all these different things. Like people still like this movie. It's just hard to find. And it's one of those gems that from the, from the, from the early thirties, a pre-code film that if you can get your hands on it, like I I would recommend it, even if you have to pay the 15 bucks or whatever to get a, you know, to get a DVD. I I just think, I think it's a good piece of work. It's a solid eight out of 10 for me. Um, It's a cool, cool premise about, you know, some train passengers that are held hostage by this like wild warlord during the Chinese civil war. Like, fuck yeah. Just a cool idea. Cool story. Well executed. Uh, I'd say 
in my opinion, you know, there's some issues with the casting, but like overall, everyone does a good job. I think Marlene Dietrich, she's great. Clive Brook is, is great. Anime Wong is awesome in this movie. Uh, I, I really enjoyed all the performances and, and the, the dialogue was cool. There's some good, good bits of the score. So I had like a hard time picking awards for it. And I ultimately had fun. You know, it's an hour and 20 minute movie. That's basically like a, I don't know, some like a war thriller, I guess is what you call it. It's, it's good. And I think we both were kind of had that, you know, that, that, that surprising element of when you watch an old movie from the thirties or forties, sometimes it just feels like every other movie that came out. And this is not the case with Shanghai Express. I was very glad that this turned out to be good considering the lengths I had to go to, to get a hold of this damn thing. And I'm happy that I own it now and I don't have to look for it anymore. Cause I probably, I would watch this again. This was an entertaining film. Yeah, I would, I would show it to people who doubt this era of film. Yeah. This is a trailblazer, but you could tell little, you know, I saw there are scenes in this movie that I've seen in later films that are definitely emulating this movie. And I love when we can find a foundational film that, you know, establishes so much for what'll come after. And this definitely felt like one of those movies. Oh yeah. That's one of the most, one of the, like the most annoying things I do in conversations about movies is, is kind of rave about what's happened in the past and how much importance it holds on things we're watching now. I just, I, I'm, that's my favorite thing to do when it comes to movies and, Sometimes I can get carried away and be like, what? You don't like Citizen Kane? You know, and people are like, yeah, I thought it was fine. And I'm like, fuck you. You know, it's like some people, it's just, some people, it's just not for them. And like, I have to get over that. But it's, it's, it's these, these movies that are essential to what we see today. I just, I, I think that's like massively important as a fan of, of, of the art of the craft. Um, I also love movies that take place in, in like one setting. I, I've always adored that. I, you know, some of my favorite movies, like that trope. And I remember the first one I saw where I was a teenager, I was probably 13 or 14, maybe, I don't know, maybe a little younger. I'm not really sure. It was somewhere in middle school. And I remember watching Reservoir Dogs and how that movie takes place in like a warehouse the whole time. I sent not the whole movie, but a big, big chunk of it. And a lot of the important scenes are in that, in that warehouse between all the, you know, Mr. Orange and Mr. Pink and all these different guys, Mr. White. I fell in love with, oh, like, look what you can do with a room, you know? And as I've gotten older, you know, I, I just, I fall in love with movies that take place in specific settings. And this movie is very much using a train to kind of show you these people that are, you know, held hostage and are, you know, they're, the anxiety starts to build up, right? And you feel it as an audience member, you feel it. And I think that's a really impactful way to, to kind of just slap your audience in the face and be like, you, you forced to sit here as well. And cause when you watch movies, chances are you're sitting down and you feel like you're almost in the room with them. It's very cool. Yeah. I like the setting is such an important part of, of the filmmaking process. You have to have a, a place that feels real. You have to have a place that matters to the context of the movie. And when it's a, when it's one finite location it, it the movie takes on almost like a play feeling mm. and i think that's really cool uh yeah i, I for me i think uh the earliest movie i can remember th- uh seeing that is the thing with just, yeah, you know, yeah 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 outpost 31 <laughs> antarctica 
just nowhere to go, nothing, no, no way to call for help. Just you, the people you've come to trust and this alien creature that's absorbing them. And it's, you know, that sense of isolation is so important to that film. Uh, yeah. I think that's, I think those kinds of films are great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then with trains specifically before I even watched this movie, you know, I knew, you know, Shanghai express, it's probably going to be in some kind of vehicle and sure enough, you know, it takes place on a train, a good, good chunk of the movie. And I thought it was an opportunity to do something like really interesting with the top five to open up our, our show here. Uh, it's a difficult top five and kind of, if you really want to get technical, kind of vague, but I want to do top five train films, meaning movies that take place on trains. And, you know, I did some research before I sent you like, Hey, let's do top five on train movies. I was like, let me make sure there's enough. And boy, oh boy, are there enough, you know? Um, I'm excited to go through these because, you know, I, I personally picked three movies that are very much train movies and they involve a train very heavily. And then two of my movies are kind of like, there's a scene that's really important that takes place on a train. I just really like the movie. I left out, I left out some movies that I love that also have a scene that's on a train. I just want to have some fun with this top five. It's not definitive. It's not some fucking, you know, we're not doing anything historic here we're just having some fun and kind of recommending movies almost and i think i want to recommend these movies more than the other ones i left out if that makes sense yeah it's trains you know i mean it's it's a fun little subgenre, like sub subgenre that is just very specific and i think the more specific you get with these i think the more fun you can have and I, i i like that i like that we're experimenting here with just trains i think that's a cool way to start yeah and and Shanghai Express like nearly made the cut for me. I thought it was a very effective movie and one that kind of defines, you know, a, a specific subgenre like train movies very well. So it was close. I'd say it's probably my top 10 if I were really picking all train movies. But, you know, my, my number five is, uh, is definitely a personal. Uh, so I'm going to let you start first. But, yeah, I can't, I, I'm, I'm ready to talk about these. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, there's some personal picks here. Um, my number five is a film that doesn't quite get talked about enough anymore because it freaked a lot of people out in 2004 because the animation's weird as fuck, but I don't care. The Polar Express. Yes, one of my favorite Christmas movies, yeah. <laughs> this movie's endearing and fun and you know just a delight, and it's loaded with Tom Hanks, and that's never a bad thing. Uh, and it's just about a kid who doesn't quite believe in Santa Claus anymore and is picked up by this magical train, the Polar Express, where the conductor takes these kids to meet Santa and reinvigorate their Christmas spirit. And the adventure is just getting to the North pole. The whole movie pretty much takes place on this train and on top of it with the weird hobo ghost. (laughs) It's just, it's fun. And the music is beautiful. It's, It's the movie that feels the most like Christmas to me when I watch it in December, there's something about this movie that just goes right to my heart. I can still hear the fucking bell. I have not lost my Christmas spirit. I know that. (laughs) And yeah, I just, I love this movie. And this was the first one I wrote down. (laughs) That's really cool. I certainly thought about this one. Um, I got to see this. The last time I watched this movie, like straight up all the way through was at this outdoor screening that was at this huge hotel here in San Antonio called the JW Marriott. And they did this giant 
you know, outdoor screen. There were like, you know, hundreds of people there. It was really cool. And it kind of just took me back to when I saw in theaters with my, I saw in theaters with my, one of my older brothers and my grandma, you know, we were, we were, we were quite young when this movie came out. So it, it hit me pretty hard as a kid. And, you know, Tom Hanks, you know, that voice, when you hear it, the conductor, you know, just kind of just puts you right at home. So yeah, I, I love Polar Express. I, I, I don't think, like you said, I don't think it's this animation feat, but the story is, 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 is lovely and gives you that vibe. Like you said, of Christmas, just perfectly. So that's a good, I figured you'd have that. Yep. What do you got? My number four movie, uh, I feel like on yours at some point, uh, I know you love, we've, we've talked about it, talked about it. I think it, it's got to show up on film guys sometime soon. Maybe, uh, maybe in the holidays uh, of this year, that's planes, trains and automobiles. Um, 1987. One of John Hughes, best screenplays one of his best to direct you know directorial directorial works um john candy and steve martin like well you know these two guys just going through this uh half cross-country thing you know they're going from new york to chicago and of course things go wrong over and over and you got steve martin who's the serious business guy that's wearing a suit and has the briefcase and John Candy's the guy who sells shower curtain rings and is like completely, uh, you know, completely out there, big bumbling fool. And it's just a match made in heaven. You know, it's, it's comedic gold. Uh, and of course, it's an automobile. It's like, yeah, I gotta have this movie. <laughs> it's, it's the only movie that I have that has trains in the title. <laughs> and, 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 and it had to be here. Uh, I, I love this movie. I've loved it for a long time. It was one of the first comedies my mom, wanted to show us as a family when I was younger, when I was a kid, she's just obsessed with this movie. Um, and my parents weren't they're big, My parents are big movie fans, but when I was a kid, they weren't, you know, itching to show me a lot of stuff at a young age. We, you know, grew up going to church. We grew up going to um, me and my brothers went to private school and they kind of, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say the word sheltered, but they didn't just expose us to a lot of stuff as parents. Uh, they kind of let us find it, which is very much shaped who I am as a, as a pop culture fan now. Uh, and I, I'm grateful for it. I, I love that. I've kind of just found my own niche because sometimes your parents can play a heavy, heavy role in like what you care about and what you watch and what you listen to. I've kind of just had to figure it out on my own. Uh, but planes trains is one of those gems that my mom actually showed us and was like, this movie's funny. I used to watch it all the time during the holidays with my, my, my parents and my family. So I'm going to show it to you guys. And it's just kind of stuck with me ever since. I think it's fucking hilarious. And I try to watch it like twice, you know, during Thanksgiving and Christmas, that, that kind of, uh, that part of the year, November, December. So love this movie. Five bucks in my right nuts as we're not landing in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I love this movie to death. Uh, did not make my list. Wow. Shocking. I to, and specifically because I think the train segment specifically isn't a huge part of the movie. So I, I not at all. Not a, yeah, not at all. <laughs> but I'm glad you yeah. included it because I, I I love this movie to death. I could talk about it forever. It's such a, a wonderful, delightful, funny as hell movie. Yeah, this is this is a 
buddy buddy like vehicle cross country movie almost almost the equivalent of something like tommy boy where it's like or dumb and dumber where it's two guys on the road figuring it out you know like what a simple easy plot but it, it can it can be movie magic and this one is my favorite bit is is in the plane the classic uh monologue of i'm the real article what you see is what you get yeah that's, <laughs> that's my, my favorite bit yeah i love that it's endearing i think my favorite bit is in the the um the terminal when they're sitting across from each other and they're both looking at each other like i know you like where did i see you and steve martin imagines john candy in the cab window just being like oh <laughs> and realizes i you you took my cab <laughs> you fuck yeah <laughs> whole bit is like it, it introduces these guys so well to each other and oh, that's great i we're definitely going to do that this november <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think it's 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 time. This is this is one of the classic for me comedies that isn't it's 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 like an hour and a half. It understands what it is. It it's it's awareness of itself is is the best part about it, and the best comedies of that era. That's that's what they were about. So yeah, had to have it. Uh, number four, what do you got? Number four, uh, going considerably darker. Uh, one of the coolest sci-fi epics of the 2010s. Snowpiercer. Ooh, that's my number three. Okay. This All movie right. is fucking wild. <laughs> yes. I love Snowpiercer. Yeah. Such a brilliant, just, you know, sci-fi epic. I love the whole idea of, you know, the rich are in the front and the poor peons are in the back and just the, the fight to get to the front and just seeing the different stages of this train and how many cars there are devoted to dumb shit that the rich are just doing all the poor are all shoved in the caboose. Uh, it's it's wild. Like when they find out what the the gelatin snacks are, like oh my mm. god, mm. it's a yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Incredible cast, and like possibly a secret sequel to Willy Wonka if you want to take that route. <laughs> yeah, I want to take that route. Yeah, <laughs> yeah such a great movie. Uh, definitely was going to make my train list. Yeah, this was the first movie I thought about when I was like, okay, let's do train movies. You know, it's obviously not my my number one or anything, but it's literally a horror action, whatever. It's a genre movie on a train that's frightening at times because of just what's going on and what like these people realize as as time goes on, and has one of the coolest cast I've ever seen in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. Chris Evans, Chris Evans, who like in my opinion. I mean, he's amazing as Captain America, but he needed something like this to show, you know, like, I, I'm like, I'm a good actor. I'm not just playing Captain America. I am, I'm really good at this. Jamie Bell, who this is his best role ever, by, like, hands down for me. Tilda Swinton's amazing in this movie. John Hurt, Ed Harris, Octavia Spencer. And my, my personal favorite is, of course, Kang Ho Song, who mm-hmm. is one of Bong, one of Bong Joo Ho's, you know, go to guys. Uh, Snowpiercer, I think, is closer to Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece than I will want to give it credit for. I think, you know, of course, Parasite was this kind of monumental wave of a, of a movie that came out and people were like, holy shit. And then it won Best Picture and, you know, it, got, it gained even more attention. And it's great. I love Parasite. But Snowpiercer is like right there. And Bong Joon-ho... Uh, the host is my personal favorite of all of his movies, just because it's right up my alley. It's a monster movie, but um, 
Snowpiercer is like some of his best work. And I really hope people like keep seeking it out. I think it's a movie 50 years from now could become this iconic genre film from, you know, the early two thousands, uh, early part of the century. So I'm, I'm excited to see how it ages. And yeah, man, I had to have this in my top fives. It was, yeah, it was something I penciled in right away. Yeah. This is long overdue for a rewatch for me. I, I haven't heard the best things about the TV show. I just, I don't care. Fuck that. I don't, I don't give a shit. There's our, you already have a two hour perfect story that has a great ending. So just like, leave it like fucking just leave it. Fucking TV, man. Can't stay off movies. Dicks. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> it's so annoying, man. It's like, and, and even even Parasite, they're like, let's make a TV show about this. And even Bong Joon Ho is like apparently involved with that. It's like, can we just let it breathe? Apparently, like it's gonna be in like fucking California, like it's gonna be an Americanized Parasite, which is just no. It the Korean cast system is so important to that movie that losing that is gonna torpedo this thing. Yeah, I'm just I'm just I'm just out on so many TV shows. People are like, "Have you seen Have you seen Severance?" D- d- directed by Ben Stiller. I'm like, "Sure, I'm sure it's great. I just don't, don't really care. Don't really have the time." Uh, yeah, I, I, people do that all the time. You know, there's just so many shows out right now that are high quality, and that's great. That's wonderful. Sure, great for those creators and people who have jobs. But uh, I'll take no piercer over that shit any day. Yeah, I got shit to do. And I'd much rather <laughs> devote my time to the films. It's, you know, an hour and a half to two hours out of my life. I can handle that. I'm not going to commit to a multi-series just for the sake of it. I don't want to do yeah. it anymore. <laughs> just to pass time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're looking for TV love, go to a different podcast. Cause we always, we shit on TV so much. I mean, yeah. <laughs> We've each got like our three or four shows, but that's it. Like, I'm not looking, it's, you know, I'm, I'm all friended up. I'm not looking for new, for new people. Yeah. Like I'm good. My circle is closed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. So that's snow pictures. Your number four, my number three. So we'll go to my number four, which is a movie that when I saw in theaters, I don't think I quite knew what I was seeing. I don't think I understood the uh, intensity of this kind of filmmaking. I don't think I understood what went into it. Uh, I'll admit, and I have no problem admitting stuff like this. I'll admit in 2020 or at the, sorry, at the end of 2019, you know, it's the end of a decade. Uh, a lot of, a lot of podcasts, a lot of websites, a lot of different things were doing top tens of the 2010s. Cause it was coming to a close. And one of my favorite podcasts ever, the big picture I've referenced it many times on this show, uh, hosted by Sean Fennessy. Dobbins they brought on Quentin Tarantino for an episode and they did mm. top Quentin Tarantino's top 10 movies of the 2010s. And he talked about a little film called unstoppable from 10, which is directed by Tony Scott. And I was like, what that movie that Denzel and Chris Pine, like just like kind of B B grade movie. And, you know, then I listened to him talk about it. I listened to him talk about Tony Scott and I was like, okay, He's right. Tony Scott is a fucking freak of nature. Uh, maybe I should revisit this. So I revisited it and I was fucking blown away. You know, I was like, oh my God, I completely missed. I was paying attention to the, the drama of it and the just kind of the, the, the acting side of it rather than 
the athletic filmmaking that was going on with Tony Scott, this guy who just is a total freak and has, you know, 30 different cameras going on at once so he can watch all of them after a scene and be like, that's the best shot. That's the best shot. A lot of filmmakers, including Quentin Tarantino, they have, they have their shot. They know what it is. This is what it's going to be. This is where my camera's at. This is where my eyes are. I know this is what I want. But Tony Scott is one of those monsters who's like, no, I want to I want to encapsulate as much as I can and then choose what's best. That's a whole other art that I really appreciate. I like both. You know, I love someone who knows what they want and is gonna, just going to go for it. But I also really like someone who's like Tony Scott, who's like, maybe I didn't see something. You know, maybe maybe my eyes are wrong. Maybe the eyes over there are better. And that's so cool. And Unstoppable is a great example of that. Plus, it's just a fucking exciting movie about a train that's fucking going fast as fuck. And these two guys, Denzel and Chris Pine, have to stop it. And it's just great action, great, great stuff. It's not one of my favorite movies from the 2010s. But when I think of train movies and I think of, you know, thrillers that involve people trying to stop something that could destroy a lot of people's lives and destroy a lot of infrastructure like that's unstoppable is one of the ones I think of. And Tony Scott true romance is like one of my very favorite movies of all time. So he's always had my heart with that, but, uh, but I, I like that he has different things in his bag, you know, and unstoppable is definitely a movie that I think needs to be reevaluated altogether. I have not seen unstoppable. I, I got to get on that. I've heard good things about this movie and I love that Tarantino singled that film out as one of his favorites yeah he talked about that and then he went he went from talking about that to like the social network and you're like dude this guy i love this guy (laughs) i love this guy to death because he he's not above anything you know uh he's got fuck all to prove he's quentin tarantino yeah i mean he is above everything but (laughs) but he's but he but he's not the way he talks about movies is is he's he's a fan he's just a fucking fan and I, I've always loved that about him. That was a really cool episode. I've, I need to go back and re-listen to it because that was right at the tail end of our last normal movie year, I would say, you know, 2019 before COVID. And it was a great movie. You know, it was a great movie year. You know, Parasite, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, Marriage Story. These great movies came out that year. And uh, I would love to go back and listen to it because I thought, I thought it was like an interesting timepiece with a guy who just had a movie come out that, is one of his masterpieces, in my opinion, talking about movies from the decade. A guy who made Django and, and The Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood all in the same decade. So uh, it was cool. It was a really cool episode. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I value his opinion. I know he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a little slimy, but he's, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, he's earned the right to be slimy. He hasn't been me too yet, which is frankly kind of surprising. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I'll, you know, until there's like proof that he's a monster, I'll continue to support him. I don't, I think he's, he's just weird, <laughs> but I like what he does. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. When it comes to film, I think he's got pretty good judgment. So I, I definitely think Unstoppable is going to be exciting. I'll, I'll definitely watch that film at some point. Um, I'm not that well versed in Tony Scott beyond True Romance. So he's a, he's a director I'm, I really have to start paying attention to. Yeah, well, he, he passed away in uh, 2012, so shortly yeah. after Unstoppable came out. Um, he's, yeah, he's just a guy who worked a, a, a lot, you know, and did TV shows and documentaries and produced stuff. And he also had his own solid skill as a director and 
yeah, I, I really dig that about him, you know? Oh, yeah. Big time. <sighs> Unstoppable. Yeah, I'll throw that on my list. <laughs> Unstoppable. Yes, yes, please do. Uh, let's see. So that's my number four. We know my number no piercer. So what's your number three? My number three is not technically a train movie, but the entire film is about getting to a train. And that is the 2007 remake of 310 to Yuma. Mm, great pick. Ah, How about this one? Great pick. This is the first Western I ever saw. Uh, and it's to this day, yeah. one of my absolute favorites. Uh, just... You know, Christian Bale versus Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe is his notorious outlaw. Bale has been hired to help escort him to the 310 to Yuma train, which is going to take Crowe to prison, a prison he's probably going to escape from. So the whole time you're just feeling this fruitless endeavor of like, even if they get there, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be worth it. And throughout the movie, you know, Crowe starts to realize that, you know, Bale's a good guy. He just wants what's best for his family. He's not worth killing. And there's like a complete change of heart in, in Crow over the course of this film. Once they actually get to the train, it's like, oh shit, who is this guy now? Like who is really our bad guy in this movie? And it's such a great character study and an awesome road movie. And in the end, a, a pretty badass train movie. And yeah, definitely, yeah. One of the best remakes I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. Totally epic. Awesome movie. Yeah, this is, this is a fantastic pick. Uh, I also think it's probably my f- first Western. You know, we were 12 when this movie came out. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I, I still remember the first time I saw this and just being so fucking excited. You know, just it was one of the first times I, I saw that kind of mono mono movie star versus movie star. You know, uh, this is Russell Crowe, of course. He's already a very well-established guy. And Bale is coming off of being Batman. Uh, it's right. It's right in between. <clears throat> you know, Batman Begins. Uh, fucking. You know, of course, Dark Knight's 2008. So this is 2007. Just you know, like yeah. for him to be able to for him to be able to do that. You know, the prestige in this in between that is like fuck off. You know, just fuck off. Like Christian Bale. I I'll stand by. I think he's like one of the best actors of of the century. He's put together such a cool cool filmography. And James Mangold, the director. Um, there's just not many guys who have that that run that he's had. I completely forgot Mangold directed 310 to Yuma. God damn. Yeah. Yeah, the guy the guy's a fucking freak. Uh ever since Girl Interrupted in 1999, um Walk the Line 2005, you know, I mean, he did Logan in 2017, Ford versus Ferrari. Like the guy's just a superstar and he I've listened to him talk a lot and I've listened to him talk about 310 to Yuma and for Ferrari, these movies that <clears throat> these movies he gets a he, he gets obsessed with a story. He he Mangold's approach to movies is find something I don't know about, learn about it, and make a movie about it, and then be kind of done with it. Like get like throw yourself into it as hard as you can. He was like, I didn't know anything about cars. He's like, but by the time I was done with Ford versus Ferrari, I was a fucking master, you know. And so he he throws himself into things like they're a school project. And has fun with it. Like what a what a cool motherfucking job, you know, to just treat it that way. Like it's it's literally just this art that I'm gonna I'm gonna go at this as hard as I can. It's not this thing I've been thinking about since I was 15. It's this thing I've been thinking about right now. This is what I'm passionate about right now. 
And he was passionate about making, remaking a Western from 1957, 50 years later, 310 to Yuma. So, God, oh, that's a great movie. I've been, every now and again, I'll, man, I want to watch 310 to Yuma. It's one of those movies that just kind of still is in the back of my mind all the time. Uh, so that's a great pick. I thought about it for sure. Um, there's another Western that I thought about, an older one that kind of reminds me of 310 to Yuma. So maybe I'll talk about that one later, but it's not my top five, um, but it has some of the best I'll call train station film, uh, scenes of all time. So yeah, maybe, maybe we'll talk about that one at the end. Um, all right. So your number three is 310 to Yuma. Mine's Snowpiercer. Let's go to your number two. Okay. Uh, my number two was a last minute addition because I remembered, oh wait, that movie has an epic train scene. And uh, it's 1963's From Russia with Love. Yeah, I was I was like, this has to be here. Yeah, you got to have, come on. <laughs> I had a moment of like, wait a minute. Yeah, the whole last half of the movie is, mm-hmm. you know, getting out of, uh, getting out of Russia. And uh, yeah, this Bond, it's James, it's uh, the second James Bond film. He's sent to Soviet Russia to get a hold of a decoding machine that is uh, allegedly being given to him by a defecting Soviet agent named Tatiana Romanova. However, Spectre is actually behind all this because they want revenge on Bond for, for killing Dr. No in the previous movie. As you can tell, I'm very obsessed with this franchise. Yes. <laughs> um, and in the last half of the movie, Spectre agent Donald Grant, played by Robert Shaw, is on the 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 train with bond and uh, Tatiana and he is disguised himself as a um, MI6 agent. Who's there to help bond apprehend the bad guy and get home. Really? He's there to kill them. And on this train, you know, they have dinner and they're talking and all of a sudden the guy orders red, red wine with fish. And bond is like, hold on a second. No <laughs> self-respecting British agent would ever <laughs> drink red wine with fish. And that's just how Bond realizes this guy is not who he says he is. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. And Grant doesn't even try to fight it. He's like, well done, Mr. Bond. You've seen through my disguise. And then they have this epic fight. And it's out know, in this, this train. It's very tight quarters. These two evenly matched agents of, you know, opposing force. And this is so epic to see Sean Connery and Robert Shaw fight each other on a train with gadgets and a woman's life at stake fucking awesome uh for russia with love is one of the best bond films in the entire run and in just an awesome movie yeah great pick man this this just makes sense for you you know to have to have uh, I, I i when i was doing just kind of a general okay let me make sure i haven't missed any train movies that i really like i, I went on you know i went on fucking wikipedia and just looked up train movies and there's you know like 300 movies that are listed that have either a huge train scene or the movie takes place on a train and i saw that and i was like okay surely we'll be talking about fucking james bond this this weekend uh great yeah gr- good pick good pick so that's your number two man i'm, I'm curious what your number one is fuck uh my, my two and one are just, they're, they're almost like cheap. It's like, uh, fuck you, Austin. You talk about these people all the time. Uh, my number two is a movie I talked about last week. Um, last week, we did a top five 1998 um, movies, and I talked about Rushmore. Well, this week, let's talk about feeling. <laughs> Do it. Uh, just, yeah, yeah. It, it absolutely has to be. It was close to being my number one. It probably is my, my number one's kind of, 
kind of cheeky, a little bit different, uh, has like a major scene that's an, on a train. This movie takes place on a train. Uh, Darjeeling is, you know, at the very beginning, we are with Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and Jason Schwartzman on a train as Bill Murray's trying to chase it down. And you're already kind of like, oh, disillusioned and quirky Wes Anderson stuff. And uh, then, you know, then the movie starts and these, they're, they're brothers, these three guys, Peter, Jack, and Francis. And they just start taking drugs and they start drinking and they start smoking a lot of cigarettes. And they're on this journey because they're realizing as they get older, we're not really, we're not really close. You know, we need to bond with one another. And I love that. I love, I love this idea. I love the way it's executed so much. I love these three actors pitted together. It's such a unique trio. Uh, Brody, who's this kind of out there, uh, uh, you know, I've won an Oscar type, type actor to, you know, Owen Wilson, who's like, I just did old school <laughs> or sorry, uh, uh, Luke Wilson did old school. Owen Wilson's uh, wedding crashers. You know, he's that he's, he's one of those guys who's just in those like kind of silly comedies. And Schwartzman, uh, I, you know, I, I adore that guy. Um, huge, huge fan. I shit on TV a lot, but uh, he is in a TV show that I really do like with Zach Galifianakis and Ted Danson called Bored to Death. And that's one of my favorite things he's ever done. And along with Darjeeling, I love Schwartzman so much. And, you know, Rushmore obviously is a movie that impacted me a lot. Talked about it last week. Um, I don't really, I don't really have, you know, when it comes to Anderson's movies, you know, I think I said this kind of, a similar thing to this last week but it's just kind of like I, yeah they're just like in my dna they're just a part of who i am and i'm willing to i'm willing to kind of take that on because i've 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 heard people be like what is movies suck they're all gimmicky and, and whatnot and like i just don't care i just don't you know <clears throat> i'm i'm all about the artsy fartsy shit where everything's symmetrical and everything looks it's in us you know its own specific place i love all that stuff uh Angelica Houston out of nowhere in this movie, fucking amazing as their mom. She's she's so great. Uh, the scene where they wind up saving someone's life in that river is really cool. Where they're like, oh my god, we actually like can have a purpose. You know, <laughs> they're like, we're not all just shitheads. You know, we're not just like always on drugs. Like we can actually we can actually do something. Uh, and then the biggest thing that this movie does for me is I've always seen myself as Jason Schwartzman's movie and my two older brothers as. Owen Wilson and as Adrian Brody, there's like this, this thing between us that um, no matter what happens, we're like, we're going to stick up for each other. Even if we're like pissed off or like, don't technically agree with what the other person's saying or doing. It's just like, I, I, I have your back type thing. And I've always connected with movies that do that, that, that have brothers that are kind of together. Um, and, you know, me and my older brothers are really close and these guys clearly like don't know each other. You know, they're, they're kind of like disillusioned and um, trying to, trying to kind of form that bond as they get older. But there is that intangible thing that we're brothers. And if someone steps to that, to, to my brother, then I'm stepping to them too. Like that scene when uh, that guy gets out of the truck and like wants to fight and Owen Wilson's like, get back in that fucking car, <laughs> you know, just screams at him. Like it's that, it's that, I don't even know what's going on, but fuck you back off my brother. It's that like we, me and my brothers have that. Even my younger brother too, Isaiah, um, all four of us have that thing for us. We always have. And so when movies portray that, it just kind of breaks me. So Darjeeling's great. Love this movie. Uh, I quote it 
quoted a lot with people who know it, you know, um, I have some friends who are, who are big, big into this movie and that's always fun, you know, and it has to be here, you know, I could go on and on. So I'll stop rambling. (laughs) Yeah. Their dealing's a good one. Uh, when I marathoned all of Wes Anderson's films for the uh, French dispatch, uh, episode that didn't happen. I, uh, Darjeeling was my, uh, I think my, like the last one I watched and it was just a wild movie, a very entertaining, whimsical, vibrant film. And I'm, as always with him, I just get sucked in and get lost for a little bit. Yeah. And I love that. Any director who can just like make me turn off the rest of my life for a couple of hours is a hell of a filmmaker and yeah, nothing but respect. I knew this one. This was the guarantee. I knew this was going to be here, and uh, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 neat to be able to talk about Anderson's movies through these top fives back to back weeks. You know that wasn't planned or anything, but I guess it was because I'm the one who's coming up with the top fives. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. You know, anytime I get to talk about Rushmore and Darjeeling back to back, who knows? Maybe next week I'll talk about fucking you know Ball Rocket or. <laughs> You never know what I'll fucking slip in. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, I was certain that was going to be your number one. Now I'm like, hmm. It, it, if we're talking about pure train movies, it is. But like my, my number one's kind of a, it is kind of, kind of, like I said, a little bit cheeky, a little bit different. It has a major scene on a train. Okay. It's just a movie I want to fucking talk about, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Anyways. Your number two is is a Bond movie. My number two is a Wes Anderson movie. What's your number one? Uh, okay, so I love number two is I think is a better movie, a more fun, exciting, personal pick. Number one, I think, is the definitive train movie that I've seen. Mm. The entire movie takes place on a train. It is the ultimate whodunit. 1974's ah. Murder on the Orient yeah. Express. Yeah. <laughs> Should have known. <laughs> Should have known. Yeah, it's Albert Finney as uh, Agatha Christie's iconic sleuth Hercule Poirot, who ends up on the Orient Express the same time at a grisly murder happens, and he is then recruited to solve the murder before uh, the train can get going from the av- like the uh, rock slide it got trapped in. So he has a limited amount of time to solve this murder, and we meet all these, you know conspicuous characters played by actors like uh, Ingrid Bergman and Lauren Bacall and Sean Connery and Anthony Perkins. It's an amazing cast in 1974 and just a fun movie with a very satisfying conclusion where you're like, Oh shit, this makes perfect sense. And the pieces that get laid out along the film are so genius. Um, And it's such a delight to watch Albert Finney as Poirot. He just really commits. Um, and it's the first movie I think of when I think of train films. It's, you know, the Orient Express, such a significant, uh, vibrant piece of like 20th century, early 20th century culture. And still, you can actually still do it. The Orient Express is still a thing. You can get on the Orient Express and take a trip through Asia, uh, which would actually be pretty fun. Uh, yeah. yeah, this was this was always going to be my number one. I think this is the one of the most important and substantial train movies ever made. And the remake does not do it justice. Mm. Yeah. Well said about that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is, yeah, I, I should have known this is going to be on yours. Uh, 
it's an absolute classic, a movie we definitely will cover. We've, we've talked about it briefly on a couple different episodes. Um, I want to say when we did the gaslight episode, we were, uh, Ingrid Bergman, we talked about this movie. And then I think when we did Chinatown, we probably talked about this movie a little bit from 1974. Um, but it would be cool to kind of just straight up cover it on this show. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. So that's yeah, a great pick. It, it is the definitive, you know, Hollywood, good quality movie that takes place on a train. So I, I have no problem with that. So you're, so all your movies are like feature trains pretty heavy. What was, cause you got Snowpiercer, you got, from, you got the bond, you got murder. What was your number five? Polar Express. Yeah. Well, and what's your number three? Um, Pretend to Yuma. Okay, so that one's the one that I would say is like least involving a train necessarily, but big stuff happens around trains. Yeah, and then you know, from Russia with Love, not you know more about you know, it's it's a Bond movie first. It's an action movie, and the train sequence is is big, but it wouldn't say it's you know a movie that really is like train centric. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I definitely cheated more than you did. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, <laughs> my yeah, because I got planes, trains, and then I got three train movies in a row: Unstoppable, Snowpiercer, Darjeeling. My number one is Richard Linklater's 1995 classic, Before Sunrise, which of course opens up on a train and is one of my favorite openings to any movie because it involves my favorite things about Linklater involves Ethan Hawke just being a fucking douchebag and, and, and just going for it in this movie. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's charming, but he's a douche. You know, he's like, Ethan Hawke is so goddamn good at that. He's yeah. and Linklater, Linklater uses him so well to be this kind of, this, this guy that thinks he's just above it all. And, it, and is quoting, you know, I'm quoting, you know, authors from centuries ago so i'm i'm a fucking you know literary genius and and ethan hawk is so good at that while also being like i kind of like this guy like he, he 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 teeters on that so well and uh the opening of this movie of course is him deciding to go talk to this girl he sees and he's like I, you know, I have to talk to you. I, you know, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I, if I didn't, you know, it's, and, and Linklater is so good, especially in the nineties, you know, it's slacker and days confused and before, and then going on to the two thousands with, you know, waking life tape, you know, these movies that deal with that existential moment of what if I would have gone that way? Or what if I would have done nothing? What if I wouldn't have said anything? It's these different paths of life that we take we literally make decisions over and over and over that affect like who we are and what we do and what we're about. And Linklater is the best at that, in my opinion, of just kind of putting that in the forefront and making a story out of it, not just kind of doing this for like ideas sake, but making an actual plot an actual cool love story happen after it. And so that scene on that train at the beginning, and then of course at the end of the movie, um, you know, we see them again departing and he's like, let's not exchange contact. Let's just meet here six months from now, you know, like, Oh my God. And then, and then what, and then what's to come the next two movies is like, Oh my God, this is one of the best trilogies ever. Um, I had to bring this movie up because that scene is like so huge. I remember when I first watched this, this movie, I like, I paused it and I was like, I feel like I'm about to watch one of my favorite movies of all time. And what a cool feeling, you know, uh, when you, when you know you're in the midst of something that's going to like, 
be with you until you die. And that's what Before Sunrise is. Uh, I, I adore that movie. And that opening scene is so, so huge to what happens afterwards, of course, in the film, but also just kind of representing Link later as a director. And I feel like it's a good, good way to kind of link, um, link people to seeking out the Criterion Collection right now has this amazing... Uh, Richard Linklater fucking collection and if you really want to dig into the guy's work and really get to know what he's about I would suggest going on there and just kind of having some fun with these different movies that are on there these different uh, there's a documentary about him that's on there so I yeah I just I think he's so important to independent filmmaking and just being free with his ideas and not being scared of, oh, like this isn't going to look right or it's not going to, you know, I love guys like Tony Scott and Tarantino and these freaks who are like, everything has to look correct. And Linklater is like, fuck it. Let's just have, let's just have fun. Let's just make a movie, have some fun, throw some ideas out there. And, and I, I love that about him. I, I think he's, he's a guy I would want to work for, you know? Um, so ha- had to have this movie in there just because of that scene. But yeah, I mean, now that, now that we've, we've done this, you know, I, I think, you know, I think it's safe to talk about some movies once upon a time in the West. I mean, mm. that, that movie, I thought about putting it on my list. It's better than any movie I have on my list. Like, but by, by a ways it's an absolute, you know, classic undisputed. doesn't really matter what your taste is. That's an amazing movie. North by Northwest. Same thing. Uh, I think those movies, strangers on a train, another, you know, fucking Hitchcock is, is the king of the lady vanishes these movies fucking rule and hitchcock is the king of the train i didn't i don't have any of his movies on here just because i wanted to be a little bit more um want to be a little bit more personal i love these movies but i want to be a little bit more personal and kind of just kind of have some fun with it you know it's not this definitive fucking list uh train to busan jesus christ talk about a good movie from the 2010s that's really tense uh, involving zombies and trains um you could the list goes on and on this is like a really cool subgenre that's specific but also broad because it has so much shit to offer strangers on a train is the one i i cut in favor of the bond film i i had mm. it there and then i'm like nah who am i who's who's ass am i kissing here <laughs> like i love strangers on a train but this is bond like yeah. that's who that's yeah. me this is me this is yeah <laughs> I'm the real article. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, you know, I'm going to do what I got to do for me. I want, you know, my influence to be put into these top five. I don't want it to just be the same stuff everybody rehashes. I want these to be films that matter to me. Not that Strangers on a Train doesn't. I think it's a great film. But these five films matter more to me personally. Yeah, straight up, man. Straight up. So, yeah, I, this is a lot of fun. Just random as fuck. And the most random top five you and I have done together for sure, where it's just like, well, why? there's no rhyme or reason. We're just going for it. Uh, so I'll recap mine real quick. Planes, trains, and automobiles, 1987, John Hughes, classic, uh, unstoppable. Number four, Tony Scott, fucking thriller. Number three, Snowpiercer, Bong Joon-ho, genre bender movie. That is so Bong Joon, so Bong Joon-ho, it hurts. Number two, Geeling Limited, uh, Wes Anderson, train movie. And uh, number one before sunrise, Link later, you know, essentially a, a, a love story. So yeah, uh, first of a great trilogy. Uh, what's yours? Uh, well, first of all, I don't, I don't think you're cheating that much with before sunrise. That's a, 
the train sequences in that film are like essential to beginning and ending this like self-contained yeah. love story. I think that 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 makes perfect sense. It just it just you know like like I know there's people out there who would be like like their five would be North by Northwest, Strangers on a Train, Lady Vanishes, Once Upon a Time, you know, like it would be these movies that are just they're just these iconic like groundbreaking movies like anyone would have their you know top five but this this feels more like like you said my dna yeah exactly um mine are number five the polar express number four Snowpiercer. number three 310 to yuma number two from russia with love and number one murder on the orient express mm, beautiful beautiful that was fun man uh yeah. so unstoppable that's your homework my friend you gotta yes. watch that movie yes that and platoon i promise <laughs> platoon will platoon will come i actually we're gonna do we're gonna do that this year we're gonna do platoon this year i was looking at our schedule and i was like you know what i think there's gonna be a couple openings where we can go ahead and do 1986 and just get platoon out of the way so you you, you don't have to force yourself to watch it like out of you know out of like oh i get, gotta get these fuckers off my back you can you can wait to watch it for a proper best picture showdown we will be doing that movie this year at some point um yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh, Shanghai Express train movie. Where would you say is it? Is it somewhere like right outside your top five, or is it like ah, you know, top fifteen? It's top like twenty. It's like number six or seven. I thought like this is kind of the you know the predecessor. Like I mean, you're like exactly. there's, the, there's the great train robbery in 1903. If you really want to get historical with it, but. Mm-hmm. This movie is like one of the earliest, you know, train centric films that I, I think, you know, a lot of these films that we've mentioned probably owe something to. So I, yeah, I think it would definitely make the top 10. Yeah, I think so too. I think it would also be, yeah, maybe, maybe seven, eight, nine. I don't know, but it would probably be in there if I really honed in and, and was picking like important train movies. Uh, Cause yeah, it's like you said, yeah, I, I love that you pointed out that, that movie from, 1903 uh because that is important you know that's over 100 years ago and it's still being homage is still being paid to it if if you will you know uh and that's that's so fucking cool um I, i i love that about movies i love this like cinematic line that you can you can always trace it back to something. And that's such a neat, neat thing. And I think, I think Shanghai Express is really important to a lot of the films where we're just kind of mentioning and talking about. Um, and yeah, it, it's not only important. It, I, I liked it. It was fun. It was a good movie, good performances. And I'm excited to talk about like what we liked most about it with our awards. You know, we have the Tarantino award for best quote, the Ennio Morricone award for best music moment. Uh, we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman for the best uh, performance in the movie, which I think there's like a handful that could be up here. Uh, we have the finally the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. So, which also I think there's a few scenes that are like quite powerful, and uh, I had I had a hard time. I kind of flipped back and forth today going through different stuff. So uh, I'll let you start with your Tarantino and your Red. Um, you know, we'll get this thing underway, and then we'll talk about after that. We'll talk about some uh, Fifth Academy Award stuff. Sounds good. Uh, my line comes from Henry Chang, uh, yes. our bad guy. Before you know that he's the the mole on the train manipulating the events of all this, um, it's when the cow stops the train and he just turns to somebody, I don't remember who it was, and says, you're in China now, sir, where time and life have no value. Mm. Like, 
Jesus, that's ominous. And that then he turned out to be the bad guy. And I'm like, oh, of course he's that's of course he thinks that he's in the middle of a revolution where he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. Like, ah, that was good. <laughs> that was really good. That was like such a great just just uh, can you imagine writing that down and being like fuck yeah <laughs> that was yeah it's, there, there's there's sometimes where where we we talk about these screenplays especially these older ones where i just love putting myself in the shoes of someone who's writing this probably straight pen to paper and thinking about that feeling that you get of i just wrote down like a couple cool like really fucking good sentences and that, that was one i thought about man i think that's such a good kind of bam like uh, it's a movie's quote, you know, it's, it's one of those that sure. It's not at this insane big moment where it's like, you know, welcome to earth, bitch. It's like, it's like a fucking, it's a, it's a movie to get you from point a, to get you from point A to point B. And I love that about it. Yeah. And also, you know, back then in the thirties, like you just got, you got to also think about how quickly screenwriters were churning this shit out. I mean, mm, this was probably exactly. like the fourth or fifth, script this guy had written that month and i think for to make something that stands out you know in the conveyor belt process of early hollywood i think is like extra important yeah that's a good point you know these people just they churn shit out you know if you look at these imdbs of of these people in the 30s 40s 50s it's just like good god like actors think they're work. Actors think that they're working now. I mean, good night. They they would just go from like lot to lot to lot. Like, you know, what's you know what's oh, it's Tuesday. What am I doing today? You know, it's well, fucking crazy. Well, I think of like that scene in Mank when they're like workshopping with the new guy, mm. and they're all just throwing out random shit that pops into their head. Like that's the process. Back then, you're just like, uh, I don't know, Chinese warlord. Now, now you give me something. Uh, train. All right, how about you? <laughs> just and then you just make it. Like that was how it worked. <laughs> You know, you were, a, you were contracted to one studio and you were told, like, you need to give me, you know, X amount of scripts by this date and then we'll make them. And then you write more scripts. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. Like, it's amazing that actual art came out of that process. Insane. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> so good. I love it. I love doing these old movies just because of, you know, kind of where minds go you know you're just taking yourself back a hundred fucking years <laughs> oh it's great uh, you know it combines you know my, my two loves film and history into this crazy conversation we get to have great great stuff i my, my i i thought about the quote you chose just for like if if you're just going one-liner from this movie that's that's the quote but i like there's this bit of dialogue between henry chan and uh shanghai lily which is shanghai lily what an iconic name uh <laughs> Where they're, they're going back and forth, right? And uh, Mr. Chang says, all the money in the world can't wipe out this insult to me. Shanghai Lily tries to shoot him. And then Mr. Chang says, you only had my interest before. Now you have my admiration. I could love a woman like you, which is, oh, that's such a good line. And then Shanghai Lily says, you made me an offer to leave with you. Does it still hold good? Mr. Chang, I wouldn't trust you from here to the door. What assurance have I? <laughs> what assurance have I? You won't trick me. Shanghai Lily, I give you my word of honor. Mr. Chang, a man is a fool to trust any woman, but I believe a word of honor would mean something to you. Man, it's great shit. <laughs> so good. I love, uh, I love, I love the, uh, I love lines like this that you only had my interest before. Now you have my admiration. You know, like same thing, like in Django when Calvin yeah. Candy basically says the same shit. Yeah. I love, 
I love lines like that where it's, you know, curiosity, attention, you know, that the, those things are so powerful to put into movies. And when someone delivers or delivers it the right way, uh, you get a, you get a great this between Lily and Chang. Uh, God, those performances are great, man. And every, everybody's kind of on, you know, and yeah. so it makes it work. I nearly wrote down, I wouldn't trust you from here to the door. I nearly had that. Yeah. that bit. I, love I love that. 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 Yeah. You just tried to kill me. Like, what are you? <laughs> you really think we're going to have a contract now? <laughs> oh, God. What a Good evil bat. Like, Chang was such a monster in this movie. I was really surprised because that dude was known for playing a character called Charlie Chan, who is like a uh. Asian detective. The dude's from Sweden, by the way. Uh, he's not Asian. <laughs> But yeah, Charlie Chan was kind of his thing. So like he was known for playing, you know, this kind of noble character. And then here he is just ruthless as shit. And I, I love that. He was one of my favorites. Yeah. Good, good shit. Good shit from him. Uh, yeah. You know, and of course now, nowadays, like, you know, roles like this, you know, people get just completely shit on and canceled and whatnot. If they play somebody that's not, if an actor plays somebody that's like they're that's not the matching ethnicity or it doesn't make sense, people will just let you up and Twitter destroys you and stuff. It's it's this is 90 years ago. 1932 is a long fucking time ago. And it's not surprising. It's not like cool or whatever, but it's not surprising. And for like I don't mind saying this, for what it's worth, it's a good performance. You know? Yeah. It's it's yeah. a solid performance. It's not, yeah, it's maybe it's not politically correct, but it he does a good job with what he's working with. He does a good job. At least he's not doing some like offensive accent. Like then it'd be, yeah. it'd be tough to watch, but at least, you know, he's, he's doing what he's got. He's yeah. He's working with what he's got. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the Ennio Morricone award. This one was, this one was probably the most difficult just because man, these old movies, they will, they will sound similar to other movies. Sometimes they look similar, but especially with the scores and whatnot, they seem, they can feel repetitive, you know? I thought there were a couple of moments that were really good, but for the most part, I was like, I'm having a hard time kind of differentiating this from something else in the 30s, if you know what I mean. Well, the op- from the opening score of like that stereotypical like Chinese-themed music, I was like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be God. rough. God but, damn it. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully I was like, Oh, okay. This is much better than I expected, but I did have a moment where I was like, Oh, that's, that's, that's nice. Um, it's when Shanghai Lily and her friend are just hanging out and she puts on some big band music on her mm. record player. And that English lady shows up and it's like, Hey, you're women. You want to hang out? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, sure. If you can handle our hanging out. And she's like, are you respectable? She's Shanghai Lily's like, well, what does that mean exactly? Like how respectable are you? And like, they, she starts to understand that they, they're not, you know, her type of, of lady. And they're, and she's like, well, and storms out, but the music's playing throughout that scene. And I'm like, it's big band. It's showy. It represents them. And she's this infiltrator. Who's like trying to better them. And people keep doing that. People keep coming in to like save them. And they're like, fuck off. We don't need to be saved. Like you do. Like we're enjoying our lives. What are you doing? And yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I love that in 1932 there were female characters with that kind of mantra. And I'm like, this guy knew what he was doing. Like Marlena Dietrich, 
and Joseph von Sternberg worked well together. And I definitely want to see the rest of their, uh, their films. Yeah. They, they, they made seven movies together and yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 you know, that's a good run. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I've said that. I think we both said this plenty of times in Oscar Sunday where it's this just kind of door opening podcast, this show that we're, we're this journey that we're both on where it's like, ah, fuck, I really haven't seen anything. <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much out there. There's so much from the past, you know, and if Shanghai Express is this good, what else did they do together? You know, what are the, are the other six better? Uh, who knows? Gotta see it. Are the other six like easier to get a hold of? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> do, do I have to like randomly find it for $14.99 at half price books? I hope not. <laughs> Should I just bite the bullet and buy the like $60 criterion collection of all of their films and just have that? Like, should I just do that? I'm starting to is, think is like that, maybe I should. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I, I think Joseph von Sternberg is a guy I, I just need to kind of study anyway. You know, he's a guy I haven't really, really gone into. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for what this movie's given us just from, from that standpoint. Uh, it's not only a good movie, but it makes you curious about what else these people have done. And that's, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. I, that's, that's a great, that was a great pick. That was a great pick for the end, you know, you know, um, kind of a needle drop moment where it also has this kind of interesting scene around it. I really like that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I went pretty, pretty basic here. I went with the, the end credits after, um, after doc and, uh, Shanghai Lily, you know, they're kissing and you have that really cool edit, which the cinematography just fucking gorgeous. And you have that really cool bit where they're fading kind of in and out. And then you see all the people, you know, going through the fucking, you know, train station there. Uh, and it's just kind of this big, it, it, it's pretty typical for, for this era, but it's this kind of big, beautiful piece playing from there to the credits. You know, we start seeing the cast name cast names and stuff and, and, all, and all that jazz. So I, what that did for me was it made me smile. Like when, I, when the movie ended, I was sitting in my room, fucking pitch black in my room, except for the TV, you know, shining bright. And I like, I looked at the movie. I looked at the screen. I listened to what was happening. I smiled. I looked at the fucking, you know, region free DVD player that you gave me. I looked at the, the, the case of Shanghai express. And I was like, I love this shit. <laughs> I love movies. I'll do anything to watch something that might affect me and might be good and might entertain me. I'll kind of do anything. I'll kind of, it doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, what, what it takes. And I know you're the same way. So it was kind of this moment of, I bet Connor had this moment too, when he was watching it, where he was like, fuck yeah, it was actually a pretty good movie. And that's like, that's one of the coolest things about this show is just the journey that I get to be on with you as a friend. And as a like fellow cinephile who just fucking inhales this stuff, so I, it just made me feel good that like the in, ending score for the credits and the you know the final scene of the movie just made me feel fucking good. So I had to choose it. Oh yeah, man, I'm honored. Yes, this journey is is so much fun. I love when we find these like untapped pockets. I, f- yeah. I feel like you know Daniel Plainview digging a well. Like I'm gonna find you know I found Straight the black up. gold and here we are. Now I get to explore. It's it's wonderful. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly right, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. Oh, I love it. This this next award is the one I'm most curious about for for both of us. 
the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. I think I think there's probably like four ways you could go here. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of really good performances in this. Uh, but one one of them, I just really liked the character. Uh, Clive Brook as Captain Harvey. Good pick. He Good pick. he was just so uncompromising in his uh, his like uh, morals and was just so hurt by Lily and never let it like he constantly let it be known. I love his random sarcastic barbs at everybody and just, you know, how, how much he was willing to give up for her, but he didn't want her to know. And she was the same way. And they were just so made for each other, but refused to, to like admit it. It was, there were such stubborn assholes in the best way. And I just thought Clive Brooke did a really good job selling that. And I, I liked him. He reminded me of so many other uh, heroes in other films. Like there was a Han Solo quality to this dude, or I was like, mm. I would follow this guy into battle. Uh, yeah, I thought he was hilarious and very endearing. It's, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I felt similarly about him. Like, ah, he has some. He has some Harrison Ford in him. That you know that Clyde, that Clyde Brook. He's got. <laughs> He, he's got some of the, you know, some of that juice that like great actors have that there's a gravitas, but there's also kind of like a smooth handsomeness to it. It's like Richard Gere, you know, these dudes that just have that, that look Ford's definitely at the top of that list. Um, so yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I, I liked his performance a lot. Um, I initially wrote down anime Wong uh, for, for my PSH, but as the movie just kind of started ending, and Marlene Dietrich, just God, when you talk about old Hollywood stars, these people who just have just have it, the it quality, and Marlene like totally has it in in fucking spades. This the like the costumes she wears, how she pulls them off when she's like smoking a cigarette. This beautiful black and white cinematography is just breathtaking. And I could watch Shanghai Lily all day. He wasn't talking, you know, she just has that quality. So I, you know, I just kind of went with the obvious here. I, uh, I think Marlene is, is an absolute fucking dynamite performer. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I need to watch more of her movies. She, she's got something that I really respect from that era specifically, you know, it must've been so difficult and I'm sure it still is. We know it still is. And it has been for, for the, this, this craft, the history of this, this industry of movie making. Just gotta be, it's always got to be hard for women to be in a you know, you know, male-dominated field. And I always respect when someone just kind of has that fuck you in them. And Marlene has it. She has that kind of yeah. like, fuck you. I'm, I'm fucking so talented. It's oozing out of me. And I can't help it. You know, like I just have, I have that it factor in. So I went with her. It's just one of those classic performances that I, like, I can't get enough of. It was like watching Olivia de Havilland in The Heiress, you know, or Meryl Streep in Sophie's Choice. Just like, dude, they're just freaks of nature. Like, these people are just, they can't help it. And, and so I had to go with her. But, man, I mean, Clive Brooks, great. Uh, like I said, Anime Wong is, is amazing in this movie. Uh, Warner, is it Oland? Oland? I think it's Oland, yeah. Oland, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, he's he's great for again what for what he's working with. Eugene Pallet, uh, Sam Salt, he's great. Uh, Lawrence Grant as Mr. Carmichael, I liked that performance a lot. This is a, this is a good movie as far as the ensemble goes. Well done. 
Carmichael especially, I thought was interesting because at first I'm like, oh, this guy, fuck this guy. He's yeah. here to save souls. And at the end, he's like, you know, she's worth more than a million of you. It's like, oh, right on, Carmichael. Wait to, wait to see, you know, faith and love. Goddamn. Like, I was rooting for, I'm like, yes. It's cool how this movie's like, you know, a love story with the Chinese Civil War, like sandwiched between between it. But it works. Yeah, as a, as like a backdrop. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Nuts. <laughs> Yeah, Marlena Dietrich, I, I'm glad you picked her. Uh, you know, she's the star of this film. And the character of Shanghai Lily very much could have been, you know, just written off as another kind of soulless sex symbol. But she brought humanity to this character and really made you root for her. And you see, like, you know, what she's hiding, what she's running from in just her eyes. She was such a talented actress. And I just, I love the way she portrayed Shanghai Lily. Yeah. I'm glad one of us picked her. Yeah, Marlene and and Clive Brook, man, they're both they're both going for it in this movie, and it's cool stuff between them two. Good chemistry. Um, all right, we're at our Deacons, the best scene in the movie. What what do you got? Um, I went with uh, Chang's interrogations. because uh, mm. that whole bit, you're like, you're as clueless as they are. You're like, what is he looking for? Like, what are we, why are we doing this? Like, why, why is he talking to us? And as he keeps talking to people and he reveals to, I think it was, uh, it was Clive Brooke where he's like, I'm looking for one of you who's worth taking as a hostage. And you're just like, shit, what is, what happens next? And you're just learning like who Chang really is and what his goals are and how, you know, he's infatuated with Shanghai Lily and how that's clearly going to come into play. It's just such a significant moment and so tense I was, I was floored. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have, I basically have the same thing. It's for, for me, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's the character development that makes this movie. It's there. It's, you know, it's not so much, um, you know, uh, uh, just a tidbit from the movie. It's this kind of character altering moment of, okay. There's someone who's controlling what's happening. There's someone who's genuinely evil on this, on this, on this journey. And fuck, that's like a good little twist that I, I don't think is so easy to do within an hour and 20 minutes. You know, like this movie, like they, this movie introduces you to a lot of characters right away and then like progresses fast and then gives you this twist of, oh, Chang's actually like an evil son of a bitch and like he needs to be taken down, you know, that kind of thing. I, I, I love that scene and I love when when Chang is killed. Yeah. <laughs> fucking so cool. Talk about fucking with the f- fucking with the code, right? Fucking pre-code stuff where it's like we can't show certain things. We're gonna we're gonna make it, we're still gonna make it kind of ambiguous, but also kind of thrilling. And I love that shit. I love it so much. I love when Doc kind of realizes what's going on and he's like, Oh, I got to go get Shanghai Lily out of here, man. Like, you know, she's there, you know, she's fucked. She's fucked right now if I don't go save her. So, and, and, and then Doc doesn't quite know exactly, you know, he doesn't know everything that's going on. It's so cool. It's a great kind of mind game. I love when they're all just standing outside waiting for the train to go and anime Wong walks out. It's like, better get your friend. I just killed Chang. Like matter of factly. And then walks to the train and he's like, what yeah <laughs> it's like shit you just ended the chinese revolution <laughs> yeah an, an, anime anime wong talk about subtlety you know she she comes out and is like yeah 
I just killed, <laughs> I just killed this, this freak, you know, I, I just, I just destroyed him. So, and then you have that, that really cool, I can't remember exactly what the line is. You have that really cool bit of dialogue between Shanghai Lily and uh, anime Wong between them two where, what do they say? It's, it's like a really cool bit where she's like, I don't know whether to be grateful or not. She says, yeah. uh, fuck, what does she say? It's such a cool bit. She's like talking about how his, his death cancels any debt. Such a cool little bit. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on IMDb, see if I can find it in the quotes. Uh... Yeah, I'm sure we can. It's got to be one of the quotes that's on that fucking IMDb thing. Oh, here it is. I, oh, don't know if I, ought, I don't know if I ought to be grateful to you or not. And then she says, it's of no consequence. I didn't do it for you. Death canceled his debt to me. Fuck yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Tarantino type type line. Oh my God. Yeah, this yeah. movie is like, I, I feel like this is one of the movies that like the Hayes people watched and were like, all right, we need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like I could see this movie being evidence of like this is why we need a code. Yeah, women are getting yeah, ideas. They're they're not they're not they're not punching us in the face, but they're kind of poking us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh uh, yeah, I love it. I fucking adore. I adore that stuff. But yeah, I do think the Pierre Deacons like the best, most thrilling part of the movie is is when Chang. You're finding out what Chang's all about, and you're like wait, what? <laughs> like, Because you're not really guy... paying attention to that. Like, you're paying attention to the love story, but the Chinese revolution stuff is happening all around this. And then yeah. when it when it takes center stage, you're floored. You're like, oh, shit, we just turned left, and now we're trapped here. And yeah. Chang just reveals, like, yeah, I'm the head of the revolution, and all of you people are at my mercy, so you better start kissing some feet. It's like, shit, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah, it's a great so bait good. and switch that I was not expecting, and I love that a movie from 1932 gave me that reaction of like, oh shit, this is a different movie now. Let's let's settle in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Buckle up. Yeah. Great feeling. Oh, that's <laughs> the best. Ah oh, man. I love when a movie does this to us. <laughs> I think we're I think we're both just kind of excited that we both kind of felt the way we did about it and had all these, you know, fun things to say about these awards. So had a blast as always doing these, you know, Doing the you know best screen best bit of screenplay best quote whatever best music moment best performance and best scene so much fun uh, I don't think this will ever go away on Oscar Sunday we're just always going to give out awards to the movie and uh, for this reason you know um, but you know this movie was up for three Oscars and you know while we haven't seen a bunch of shit from you know 1932 1931 1932. I do want to look at these, you know, these, these categories, look at what Shanghai Express did at the Oscars. Cause it did win best cinematography, which is one of the best aspects of the movie. So I'm totally okay with that. Um, but it's also fun to kind of make fun of these old uh, ceremonies just cause they're so fucking ridiculous. So let's start with, um, since we haven't really seen a lot of this stuff, let's just get the, I mean, fuck, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. There's 12 categories. There's 24 now. <laughs> there's, there's, there's double that after 90 years. Uh, we have the famous outstanding production, which is best picture now, best director, best actor, best actress, best original story, best adaption, uh, adaptation, sorry. Uh, best art direction, best cinematography, best sound recording, 
best short subject, comma, cartoon, <laughs> the fuck, best live action short subject, comedy, best live action short subject, novelty. Like, what the fuck is all this? You know, there's no supporting actor or supporting actress. But best original story and best adaptation is basically, you know, original screenplay, adapted screenplay. Okay. Uh, there's no score, you know, yet. There's no best original score. Just fucking weird. Like, it's just so weird. And then to have three short subject uh, categories is bonkers <laughs> for, for 19th cartoon comedy and novelty um just amazing just just looking at these is always incredible this is the fifth academy awards they clearly didn't know what they were doing yet it was just a way for you know our good buddy louis b Mayer to just kind of you know stroke everybody so <laughs> best best live action novelty makes me think they were given out like oscars for like best cigarette commercial or some shit like that like what what is what's in there? <laughs> I, I I don't know. And then I love this Academy Honorary Award to Walt Disney for the creation of Mickey Mouse. <laughs> like Mickey Mouse is awesome. Give that man an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That Mickey Mouse guy kicks ass. Yeah, that's hilarious. My God, oh, man! Look, I love the arbitrary number of uh, like nominees per award. It's like sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's. T- 10, sometimes it's th- five. Best sound recording is all just studios. There's no people there. Like, now the winner was Paramount Public Studio Sound Department. It doesn't even say what movie for it was for. <laughs> That's crazy. Pure insanity. Yeah. Pure <laughs> insanity. So, so yeah, I take, you know, if you dislike the Oscars now, be thankful that it's still not like this. You know, <laughs> there's you a know? tie for best actor between Frederick March and Wallace Beery. Uh, amongst three performances which means one guy went home empty-handed one guy oh and he's in a movie called the actor <laughs> of course uh, i love that wallace beery wins for the champ he's like yeah of course i won yeah eyes his character's name champ <laughs> It's so good. I love it. I've actually heard the champ is pretty good. I was I was gonna try to watch it uh just for, for fun. Uh this is the year that Grand Hotel wins. Let's just fucking jump into it. Um outstanding production, Grand Hotel wins. Uh Aerosmith is also nominated, Bad Girl, The Champ, Five Star Final, One Hour with a You, Shanghai Express, and the Smiling Lieutenant. I, I I've only heard of Grand Hotel and the Champ. I haven't really heard of these other movies. Um Grand Hotel is always a movie I've wanted to see because it's one of five. I think it's one of five movies that won Best Picture but wasn't up for Best Director. It's Argo, Green Book, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, there's yeah, there's a couple others, but it's usually like this weird, weird thing where it's like, oh, how, like how if it's Best Picture winning. I was not up for best director. That's very rare that that happens. Well, I mean, that's not exactly stellar company right there. No, no, it's not. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I bought Grand Hotel and The Champ on a whim because I found them somewhere and I'm like, we might cover this someday. So I got, I got those are some just in casers that I picked up. <laughs> yeah, well, one day we will do, we'll try our hardest to do a best picture showdown with this year. One day, one day it will happen. I'm not counting down the days or anything, but. <laughs> One day on this podcast, because I don't ever intend on stopping, it'll happen. Um, best director, three movies. 
three movies. Have you heard of Bad Girl? Have you watched Bad Girl? I have not. I have only seen from this. Uh, I've only seen Shanghai Express from this show. Uh, I want to see Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde very much. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, Mr. Frederick March, who's like a, when it comes to statistically with Oscars, he's got a lot of shit going for him. So I'd love to see that movie as well. Um, Bad Girl, The Champ, and Shanghai Express. There's only three movies for Best Director. Just crazy. Like, on any given year that, I, that I'm like confident about, basically from like 1970 to now, I feel like I could come up with 10 directors who deserve to get a shout, you know, and the fact that 1932, you know, and, and I did some research, like over a hundred movies came out that year that could have, that were technically eligible three. Surely there were a couple other movies that could have thrown in there. I feel like eligible in the 1930s was like, did you slip Louis B. Mayer an envelope full of cash? True. True. <laughs> then you get your statue. I don't That's know fair. How, yeah, I'm pretty sure the voting process was a lot less stringent back then. <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, yeah, Louis. Louis's kind of a you know a monster when it comes to this stuff. Uh, <laughs> he's 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 a huge reason why we can even do this show. But you know, whatever. Uh, best cinematography: Shanghai Express wins. Aerosmith and Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Uh, Shanghai Express. Lee Garms won for best cinematography, but apparently from what I've read from a bunch of accounts from Marlene and uh, these other actors we've been talking about, Anime Wong and, and all these people said that it was really Joseph von Sternberg who was like doing all that stuff behind the camera. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what the accounts are of like, yeah, this guy was credited for cinematography and did some work behind the camera, but Joseph was really the genius of this entire movie. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I think, you know, there's some control freak directors who are like, you know, my film, my camera, and then the cinematographer just slaps his name on there because it's some union thing. I'm sure that happens a lot. Yeah, which, you know, whatever. I, if you're trying to get a job, I guess I understand. But uh, that's my, my, my favorite. I, I love the performances in this movie, but outside of that, the way it looks for 1932, it just stands out. It just stands out so much. It is a gorgeous film. The close-ups of Marlene are like breathtaking, and it's like what it's all about with old Hollywood. So I, I'm totally okay with a movie like this winning winning cinematography. Sometimes the Oscars have no idea what they're talking about with this category. Uh, one that's it's probably become my favorite non-big five um, category cinematography uh, uh, over doing this show, where it's just like man, the importance the importance of how a movie looks and how we're you know, how, how it kind of just fucks with who we are as audience members. Uh, I just, I, I'm obsessed with it. So I love the, I love the performance categories. I love that, you know, the screenplay, the directing, the best picture, but cinematography is right up there and score. Yeah. Score is mine. I I'm a sucker for a good score. You know, I've said, I've said it often on this show, like a, a good, a good score can make or break a film. And I, I think that, I think it's weird that people don't consider that a major category. Uh, they should, <laughs> but uh, cinematography definitely, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about cinematography doing this show. And I, I like that. I've le- a lot of the so-called lesser categories have, I've learned a lot about them and how to judge them, which has been really cool. Like I get film editing, sound design. Like I can understand where the, 
like where that comes from now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The so-called lesser known. I love that. Yeah. People look at it that way. Uh, without, without the score, without music, like we don't have movies, you know, uh, most movies before everything that, that we know movies to be now were, were silent films with music. Yeah. There's no talk. There's no talking and there's no, there's no dialogue. It's like subtitles and music and people running around and that, I mean, what the fuck do you want? You know, it takes a movie as special as no country for old men to like not use music to where it's kind of its own character. Like, Oh, look how fucking different this is. Like as much as I care about movies, as much as I love this art form, music is way more important and like way bigger to our emotions and plays way more into, I mean, imagine the first 15 minutes of there will be blood without the score. We'd be like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> like, why am I, why am I watching this guy? But because we have that kind of like unsettling sound of Johnny Greenwood, you're like, this is fucking cool as shit, you know? And it's it, yeah I, I i love again i love movies but music is greater than movies <laughs> that's just always going to be the case well like for, you know and there will be bloods instance i mean with without the music you're just kind of watching a dude dig a hole but with the music you're watching this you're like oh i'm watching this guy lose his mind <laughs> like this guy whatever is going on here he's clearly unhinged the music's telling me that this guy has screw loose and it's getting worse like now I'm in. Now I'm intrigued. Now I'm invested. I want to see what happens to this guy. Yeah, I'll take you even further with Paul Thomas. What if at the beginning of Boogie Nights there's no music playing and we're just watching these people roll fucking run around a fucking club and we're like, what are they doing? These jackasses are moving to what? You know, but best, of, but best of my love is playing, and so you know, <laughs> it's great. Without the music, Boogie Nights is like a weird, like sexual sadist film. Like you need the music to remind you, like, hey, this is supposed to be kind of lighthearted sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, like, yeah. this is dark. <laughs> yes, yes. You need music yeah. to like. You need music to suck you in, pull you out, like all these different different emotions that it just it like forces your hand, and and that's 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 the best thing. So yeah, score is without a doubt one of the most important categories there's no way to say best actor category is more important than a best original score category no way like there's no way you get that without music then you know what is tom cruise doing <laughs> you know like what are these people doing what are these people doing if they don't have music to move by well what's you know it's it's i know it's you know corny but it's like a clock you know you need all the little you need all the pieces working together for this project to actually work and filmmaking is very much, you know, an ensemble piece of work. Like you need every bit. The caterer has to provide pretty decent food for them to enjoy so they can be invigorated to do their work. Every piece matters. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Straight up, man. So, yeah, I love I love having these conversations about what what this stuff means to us. How how important it is to us. And, you know, we always get to do that when we talk about these old movies because the the ceremony is always weird as fuck to look at you know but shanghai express really good it, it's it's piqued my interest in a lot of different things um you know director actors different people um 1932 maybe check out some different movies from that ceremony oh, this is what it's all about but next week we're doing like a movie that i've been wanting to revisit that's more recent been wanting to revisit it for a long time you know uh 
it's it's something I think is special. I think I think this director Alex Garland is is like really special. I think he hasn't had like I don't think they're complete successes um, his his movies so far, but he I think he's important. I think he's going to do some really cool stuff as time goes on. You know, Ex Machina is a great movie. Annihilation, I really liked it, but I understand people who who, who don't totally vibe with it. I'm really looking forward to Men next week. I think that movie is going to be awesome. I think Jesse Buckley is one of the best young stars we have right now. So next week on Oscar Sunday, we will be covering Ex Machina and the 88th Academy Awards. Super excited. 2015 is a uh, year we have not done yet. So Really? We have not covered 2015. Wow. I'm very excited. I, You know, Shanghai Express, um, we did the Lighthouse these are years we've never covered on the show so it's like i want to knock out these years these ceremonies by like picking movies that are obviously from that year so ex machina it just fit this just fit perfectly because alex garland has a new movie coming out men we'll be covering that on next week's sneak preview so we'll be doing like a double feature essentially of ex machina and and men um and i'm super excited man uh we're also going to do a top five again of course you know that's what we got to do it's gonna be a lot of fun probably going to be 2010s sci-fi movies i think that's where we're going to go um i'm very much looking forward to it but tomorrow we have a a movie been getting shit on like crazy by uh by by all, all people like uh firestarter you know stephen king adaptation is back you know i think that was 1984 the first one right yeah yeah so yeah we just did that on filmgasm right uh so for, for this new one that's out so Tomorrow's sneak preview will be covering that. Um, on Wednesday, here's a good movie. Filmgasm will be covering Bronson. I love that movie. I think it's extremely underrated, and I think it's really cool that we're covering it. It's kind of Filmgasm to the core. Uh, and then Green Lantern on Friday, Beyond the Bat, Mr. Ryan Reynolds. That's right. That's 2011? Yep. 2011. I remember seeing that and then I don't remember anything about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Same. I saw it at the movies and I was like, all right. And then I've moved on. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Since. I think, I think I got, I think I remember getting Wendy's that night. I think I remember that more than I remember the two hour film that I saw. <laughs> like I said, ex Machina and then back to back next weekend for um, Oscar Sunday sneak priest. So super exciting stuff. This is gonna be a fun week. It's random as hell. It's all over the place. Uh, that's what we we like to keep that way. Keep it fresh. Um, got some really good shit coming up on this show as we approach our two year anniversary. Um, we're going to be doing after after Ex Machina. We're going to be doing one of my absolute movies of all time, and then we have our two year anniversary. Feels good. Feels right. You know, two year anniversary falls on a um, best down. So can't wait to do that. Can't wait to reveal what it is. We're having a lot of fun here, man. Uh, what are you, you're doing school? You, you, you got your final grades. So like, what, like, what are you going to be doing this summer? You know, are you going to just be watching a shit ton of movies or what? I'm going to be making up for some lost time. I deliberately am like avoiding doing anything else this summer, uh, specifically so I can just dive into films and just turn it, turn my brain off for some, for a few months. Cause I, I need, I need a break. And I want to just pour all my energy into these shows yeah. and enjoy myself for a while. And I'm looking forward to that. Good, good stuff, man. Well, hopefully we get some good summer movies, you know, um, I'm looking forward to a few. I think, uh, you know, light year, I think is going to be pretty, pretty fucking cool. I think, uh, 
in late June, the Black Phone and Elvis. That would be an interesting weekend. Thor comes out in July. Uh, yeah, we got some got some good shit for you. Bullet Train, which looks like fun as fuck, uh, comes out in I believe August. So yeah, we'll we'll be having some fun. Oh yeah, maybe that'll make our you know our train list. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought about that. I thought about oh man, Brad Pitt on a, on a train. Yeah, I think I think that could make my top five. Uh, yeah, man, this is a lot of fun. It's always. I always, you know, I have a really good idea of, you know, when we do, we do fucking, you know, Deathly Hollows part two, really good idea of how things are going to go. And I kind of see the episode before it even begins and ends. But with Shanghai Express, I'm like, this is going to be fun as hell because I have no idea where the conversation is going to go. It's been a blast doing this with you, man. Um, And for our listeners, our fans, you know, follow us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook at Filmgasm. And uh, look at, you know, filmgasm.com, always have reviews up. You know, Connor just wrote a, not too long ago, Dr. Strange. He wrote a simple plan review. We've got some articles and stuff on there. So, you know, just keep checking us out. Keep sticking with us. And we'll see you guys tomorrow for Firestarter.